Okay, so welcome to A Woman's Place, everyone. Um, I'm here with Sarka, who I think has prepared a little monologue to introduce herself this time. So hello, uh, welcome to A Woman's Place podcast. Um, I'm getting better at the introductions. Um, my name is Sarka, and today we are going to be talking about um, women who choose to be child-free, to not have children. So I'm really excited to get into this topic because I think it's something that a lot of people will be interested in and probably something that a lot of people don't think about until they start getting the inevitable questions in your like late 20s when they start asking you, oh, so when are you having kids? And yeah, it can be an awkward conversation. So we're just going to kind of have a look at um, historical trends and some of the kind of more socio uh, sociological reasons behind not having kids. So. How are you with them? Um, just to step back, how are you with um, introductions? Like, are you good when you first meet people? No. No. That's funny. I'm like, hi, Sarah. <laughs> you know, I can't. Like, it's terrible, honestly. <laughs> I was literally talking to someone on the phone the other day, and my housemate was like, who are you talking to? And I was talking to an official person. And um, he was like, what? And I was like, smoozing. Like, I am so good at schmoozing. Like, as in, so good at it. So in today's episode, we're going to remember Anne Lister. So Anne Lister was an English landowner from Halifax in West Yorkshire. Um, she inherited her, her wealth and, and her estate because she had no um, living male relatives. And she had a, such an interesting life of which she kept extensive diaries. So she, had, she kept diaries from a young woman until her old age, totaling over four million words. So she, she was a big, big diarist, you know. Um, and over a, a sixth of her four million words were written in code. And they, they couldn't, you know, her descendants found her diaries and said, like, why would she write these in code? And eventually they, they cracked the code, which was a mixture of kind of ancient Greek and, and some other, some other um, code. And they found out that she had had several lesbian relationships throughout her life. Um, her diaries were decoded by one of her um, descendants and her diaries were added to the UNESCO Memory of the World program. So she, because she was rich and because she was a landowner, she was able to kind of take control of her life and live the way that she wanted to live. So she dressed almost exclusively as a man, even though everybody knew she was a woman, she didn't, you know, um, she, she had long hair and, and she had a figure um, and everybody in the, the vicinity knew that she lived, um, she was a woman, but she, she dressed very much as a man, which, which at the time period was a bit you know, it was a bit dodge, like you could get in uh, kind of trouble for it. But because she was so wealthy and because she was a landowner, she kind of got away with it. But she had several lesbian relationships throughout her life. Um, and all of those were, were detailed in her diaries, which were written in code. And I think that having, uh, when I did the research for this podcast, trying to find accurate representation of lesbian women in uh, before the modern era is extremely difficult because it was such a taboo subject and it was such a, it could get you in a lot of trouble, you know. But because Anne Lister was so uh, well regarded because she was so wealthy, she kind of got away with it. If, 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 I, can, if I can say that, she actually she had several lesbian relationships and her, her diaries are, they're gold dust, if you know what I mean. They're so important for looking at society at that time and how they treated single childless women, how they treated wealthy women who were childless versus poor women who were childless and how in particular they treated lesbians. Yeah. Um, and I, I just want to remember her and you can actually read her diaries um, on the UNESCO um, memory of the world site which I think is very very interesting so I'd just like to remember her today and her her really interesting and and, and uh, her really interesting life and just kind of to thank thank Anne Lister for her diaries which give us an amazing insight into the life of childless um, women at that time cool yeah um perfect uh that's a cool one to remember because that's unusual um, so actually this comes, this, um, podcast comes at a time then there's really hot topics going about. So there's three things that I'd like to put into context. Obviously the mother and baby homes thing. I had wanted to do a, a, a podcast on that, but actually I think that we're in no way expert or, you know, there's way more podcasts out there that do, will, that have a better 
explanation that are actually in touch with survivors as, as well. So I don't think that we will do one of those, but it is important to say that like at this time, there's obviously the mother and baby archive thing going on. Amy Comey Barrett has just been, um, don't even talk. Confirmed. Yeah. And also Poland is ha is after stripping back abortion rights. And there are loads of people on, um, on the streets currently in Poland. And um, so how I want to frame this and talking about motherhood and talking about being child free is actually related to those things. So like the economics of motherhood and how I, you know, how I uh, see motherhood uh, in the in the grander scheme of society is you know the economy begins at your vagina you know yeah definitely so yeah so the economics of motherhood so why governments are obsessed with abortions and babies so a very low rundown on like why governments especially right-wing governments are obsessed with abortion and babies is simply because a child is a future worker the workers are the GDP are the economy. If you don't have workers, then you don't have a successful economy. Um, so like abortion is one way of stopping, uh, of making women have children. Now, they also don't want to pay for the children in order for them to later on make the money. They want you to pay as much as possible. You know what I mean? So like, that's why childcare is such an issue today like the government doesn't want to pay for it even though the government are going to be the people who profit off you know those children later in life so i think if, like i think if you look kind of from you know my my experience like with looking at kind of historical trends and such is um one of the things that you notice is that a lot of obviously as you said like right-wing governments they're they're framed around um this kind of very traditional archetype of a woman as a mother and a woman staying at home and what you actually see with a lot of like severe right-wing governments like just for example um during world war ii you look at italy um, Mussolini really really encouraged women to have children such to a point where he gave out medals and prizes and money uh -huh. to women who had more than five six seven children um, and essentially what you said you know about making making workers but for a lot of right-wing governments it's ma about making soldiers as well and it's about making people who will fight for um whatever cause that that you've kind of uh, groomed them to believe in you know um and, and, you and actually voters and i think that's what, that you know this is what, why in poland and the us it's actually a similar situation because so whilst Poland is like Polish or whatever, they're also on that side of the of Europe that is getting hammered with um, refugees. So there is yeah. a, re a racist reaction here, the same as in the US. So like the the, the what the white man, you know, <clears throat> the political white man wants <clears throat> is to have as many voters as possible. So stripping back abortion rights because the, the populations are changing so much in the US, they will soon be um, um, like equal, if not a minority in the country. So that is an issue for them. Now, if they don't get it through voting, they will bring in regimes which are fascist to uh, like, or gerrymandering, for instance, in the US, they, <clears throat> they rig the system so they still get elected. Like the Senate in the US, are elected on a minority of votes they're not actually the majority even the, the seats it's all through gerrymandering so i think and voters yeah and actually the the so that is yeah and voter suppression exactly um so fascism is really linked or like extreme authoritarianism is it really linked with the stripping back of feminine of female rights like women's rights but um like this is also if you put it in the frame of what's happening in in the US where they have have um, uh, performed hysterectomies on women coming across the border. It's the same thing. They don't want them to breed literally because they see yeah. them as a threat to the voter count. They see them as a racial threat. So Definitely. I just so like everything to do. So when you put that framework around motherhood, I think it gives us a better understanding of seeing of, un, of a better understanding of 
why the culture is the way it is you know like i think if you if you if you ask yourself why do all the problems exist in the world money is nearly always the answer and this veil of like oh we're worried about the children is very thin you know when you consider what was happening in practice at the same time they were like oh no abortion in ireland they were literally killing children they were literally taking children away from mothers so the um and that whole thing you know the whole mother and baby thing was a money making scheme as well to make money off of off of these mothers uh through it was also a it was also a money saving scheme which is which the government framed it as a money saving scheme but what you actually when you dig down into it what you see is the cost of, of a foster child back then they actually paid the nuns and, and the brothers nearly double what they would pay a foster what they pay a foster parent and there were several instances um, and i'm sure obviously you know survivors um would have definitely some survivors now would definitely have experienced this um, but I remember in particular one story of a man who was with a foster parent and he was extremely happy with that foster parent you know he she was his mom um, and along came the brothers and took him away um, mm -hmm. and he found out on the train down to the industrial school in Baltimore that the, the brothers were going to be getting double what his mother had been getting for him yeah which like the government framed it as a money saving scheme, you know, we're taking these children so that the brothers will mind them and we won't have to pay for them. But actually they were paying the, the brothers double and, and sometimes triple what they were paying the foster parents. Yeah. So it was about, it was about hiding them, you know, it was about, it was about hiding the, the shame in inverted commas of these. Um, but of also these. if I think we have to consider the Catholic church as a business as well, not just, a, Definitely. you know what I mean? Not just a religious order and that they have, like if you have ever been to the Vatican, you will see just on display the um, the the invaluable riches that they have, like as an in incredible. Moving on to the the to the framework within Ireland. So we have this again, like, a, a, you know, w back in the day, they used to speak of the Irish race a lot, you know, in in um, in um, in both in the church and eugenic studies and stuff. Yeah. Um, how Ireland defined a woman in law and culture. Um, and I suppose I just want to start with, uh, you know, in Irish society, Irish society, this is from Katrina Beaumont, um, Irish society, society mirrored the teaching of Catholic Church. Pope Leo VIII clearly outlined the natural duty of women when he wrote the Encyclical Renum Novarum, <laughs> 1891, that a woman by her nature fitted for homework, and it is this which is best adapted to preserve her modesty and promote the good upbringing of children and well-being of the family. And of course, we obviously know, you know, this podcast is named after it, a woman's place. This is directly reflected in the Constitution. So what is the article? Do you know the, it off by heart? Yeah, so um, the article is 41.2 uh, and it states, in particular, the state recognises that, that by her life within the home, woman gives to the state a support which without the common good cannot be achieved. The state shall therefore endeavour to ensure that mothers shall not be obliged by economic necessity to engage in labour to the neglect of their duties in the home. Um, and what's interesting about that is that that's the 1937 constitution. So that's a constitution that was written, you know, 20 years after um, we gained our freedom from Britain. And what I think is particularly interesting in that is that the first constitution, our first independent constitution, actually, um, like the proclamation, gave equal rights to all of its citizens. Mm -hmm. um, and th that was, that included, you know, all of its citizens who were 51% of the population. So it definitely includes us. Um, the the big sign is women are uh, uh, Irish men and Irish women. It has, you know, the first line declares equal yes. rights. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, what, I, what I think is kind of interesting, and, and I think it's definitely um, one of the reasons why the 1937 constitution even passed in the first place is because a lot of the women that were elected to, um, in the 1921 general election, there were six women TDs elected. Um, in 1923, there were four women TDs elected, but most of them were Sinn Féin TDs who were anti-treaty. They were anti um, the Anglo-Irish Treaty and they refused to take their seats in the Dáil. Mm -hmm. And because they refused to take their seats, 
um, they were not there to to debate these issues. They were not there. And obviously I make no I make no comment on whether they should have taken their seats or not. That's not what we're talking about here. But I'm just saying by the fact that they did not take their seats, there was not the the ferocious debate that there should have been around this um, article in the Constitution because by 1937 the vast majority of TDs were men and as we know um, they, do, they don't care about us so um, when, when, that, when that article was added to the constitution Hannah Sheehy Skeffington who was a suffragette um, and just an all-around badass she said that it was a fascist model in which women would be re relegated to permanent inferiority. Mm -hmm. um, I think you in your article that you shared with me, you were talking about, um, and it's actually something that I'm studying at the moment of, well, we briefly touched on it, but as uh, being a mother or being a housewife as slavery. Now, I think slavery is kind of a, a uh, in, in context of what is still happening, I think you could define it as slavery. If we were all, you know, actually, you know, slaves right now weren't, you know, kind of a, a very serious word to use but um if you yeah. were, i prefer the term like forced labor which is same same but it kind of you know what i mean it kind of gives a different fr uh, framing of it but the forced labor yes. in 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 um in marriages like you'd be like how were they forced well they were culturally forced they were financially forced and they were you know um spirit like like through the church through their families you know it was there it's this all like what at jordan peterson coined cu cultural enforcement you know of monogamy um and that yeah, yeah it's actually it's actually quite it's quite interesting when you when you dig down a bit um when we when, when you think about especially what you just said there about the kind of financial um the financial burden of um of having to marry uh, what you actually notice um throughout throughout time and i got this from a very interesting um a very interesting book is that wherever there is economic prosperity throughout history um, the rates of marriage and the rates of childbirth go down mm -hmm. you would think that they would go up because people have more money and people have more money to spend but actually um they go down because women now can earn the money that they would have previously relied on a husband, brother, uncle, whatever for. Yeah. So I, I, I think like, that is just pause there and 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 like have us realize that that economic reliance was systemic as well. Like that wasn't like there were laws and things in place for women to be forced to be dependent on men. You know, like yeah. I think we all understand that 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 was the case but to what extent it was the case is i think we don't really feel that much because like all of these things were put in place so that you are you as a as a woman made the probably wise decision that you needed to get married because it was literally your survival so that the conditions that are in place to make you get married are phenomenal but the funny thing about that, though, is that when you look at kind of more recent history, say maybe from the 1600s onwards, what you actually see is that single women have more rights regarding property, inheritance and money than married or widowed women, which I actually find uh, very interesting because it's, it's kind of like an oxymoron that... Um, with regard to especially inheritance, you were better off as a single woman, but that only uh, that only worked if you had no male relatives living. Yes, yeah. Do you know? So if you if you kind of as I said took a punt and decided not to get married, and you were one of the last children, or you were an only child, you were going to be very financially set. Yeah, and but, I think actually that 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 but that inheritance law is a, so is the transfer of wealth. Like that's what it's yeah. there for. It's the transfer of wealth from women to men rather than like, you, you know what I mean? Like that's. Yeah. And a single woman cannot, um, a single woman couldn't then uh, give her property to anybody that she wasn't related to mm -hmm. in a lot of cases. So it, it was, um, 
you know, if, if you were a single woman and you had no male relatives living, um, you had female relatives living, like if they were married or if they were widowed, they couldn't inherit from you, you know? Mm-hmm. So you were, you were very much kind of stuck on, um, stuck on what you, what, what your familial position was. Okay. And I think it's also very interesting to note that, you know, from our historical marriage trends, we, we take huge amount obviously from number one our our um our the catholic church the christian church and and their laws on marriage um and and one of them is essentially um that that your husband owns you you Mm -hmm. know that he that he owns you he owns his children and he can do whatever he wants with you or your children um and this applied this applied even after second wave feminism in ireland like you're talking you know well up to the 90s um a man could do pretty much whatever he wanted and when you look at the the kind of roots that women took to avoid getting married um there aren't that many and the social stigma for young women that would come with being unmarried was for a lot for a lot of people it, it was it was untenable they couldn't um they couldn't they couldn't get away from the familial pressure from the societal pressure um of of getting married to whoever do you know, like it didn't, yeah. it, um, and particularly in rural Ireland, um, have you ever, John B. Keane's Sive, uh, like John B. Keane, one of his big things was that he commented on the state of, of, of Ireland and particularly rural Ireland and his play Sive, um, for anyone who doesn't know, it is about a, a very young girl forced to marry a much older man. And this would, would have been very, very common mm-hmm. in rural Ireland. Um, almost all women who married in rural Ireland were significantly younger than their than than their um, their husbands. My actual um, and- is a perfect example of this. So my great great grandfather was married to a woman. They had no children, uh, but it was her land. So like she inherited the land. He married her. She died, and he married a, a much younger woman. And then they had children. And so that she, so like, it's, that's one, two, one, two, three generations ago that, that happened. So that like the great, 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 great grandfather only. Yeah, it's been very, very common in rural Ireland because um, it, it's kind of a catch 22. It sounds terrible, but uh, men were not considered eligible for marriage until they had, you know, some, some assets or a, a good job or something which they could provide for their family. Um, and women, past the age of 30 were not considered candidates for marriage. So a lot of the time what you had was you had say late teens, early twenties women marrying late thirties, early forties men, because that's how long it took the men to get the assets and, or the job um, or the social standing in order to be able to get married. Yeah, um, yeah, to get- yeah, yeah. because people were very poor back then as well. So um, yeah. I think uh, bringing it up a little bit more to recent times, so I have a stat here from that same paper by Katrina Bowman. In 1926, 25% of women remained unmarried at the age of 45. Um, I And when you were saying, you know, about women, oh, they, they um, you know, there weren't many roots to single. The conflation of a woman equals mother and wife cannot be underscored, you know, cannot be underscored enough. Yeah, and I think pointing out that, that 25%, um, would have been, you know, there would have been at least a, a significant percentage, at least five or six percent of those would have been nuns. So we just have to kind of discount that. Um, like yeah, being yeah. being a nun in Ireland was one of the biggest um, was one of the biggest routes to singledom. You know, uh, you as a nun, I'm not I'm not a fan of the nuns, but as a nun, you had a huge amount of social standing, you had a huge amount of of power, um, and you were essentially set for life your entire um your entire world would have been taken care of for you you know you would have been educated you would have been fed you would have had a place to to eat and to sleep and as i said like your social standing was very very high like nuns were some of the most powerful people in ireland between really between the 1900s and the the 1990s they were they were very very powerful people and it was one way that a woman could um gain power without having to marry well, um, obviously you're also, married right. not to have to deal with those the social stigmas you it was, yes. it was a safe way to be single yes very much so and it was it was quite a um 
for for nuns who who were um were involved in the community so not closed orders because obviously we've a lot of closed orders as well but the the open orders you know you were you were free is the wrong word but you were as free as you were going to get do you know what i mean like you could do pretty much what you wanted you, obviously you had to obey your mother superior but with regard to say i want to go for a walk i want to go to town i want to a pair of shoes like you know you could do all of that and in my experience even even today with a lot of the nuns that i would know who would be much older you know pe people in their 70s and 80s like they tell you straight out they're delighted they weren't even that religious, but they're delighted that they, they lived the life of a nun because it was so much better for them than living the life of a wife or a mother. Yeah. The life of a mother, really, or, or like a, a single woman? Like literally. No, the life, the life of a mother. No, they've, they've, all the nuns that I've spoken to, they, they never spoke about being single outside of, outside of the, the order. It was always either be a nun or get married. Yeah. You yeah. know? Those were those were the two options that were presented to them, particularly when you think about the fact, I think this is definitely something that we, we need to mention. I would say up to probably the 1980s, like part of, of getting married and part of the pressure of getting married came from your own family because yeah. families were so big. You know, you're talking seven children, eight children, and that's not even considered to be a really big family in Ireland in, in the 60s, 70s and 80s. Like those women, somebody had to mind them somebody had to take care of them um, and one of the ways of doing that was getting them married off so that their parents didn't have to pay for them to um to 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 grow up in their house you know and these are the, these are the conditions again like um that's that force women into these situations whether they are kind of a like you know conscious or agents of it themselves or not at the time but like the the the, the condition of poverty is a huge one you know like you really limit your what you're going to do like are you going, uh, in order to literally just get by and be fed like it really puts you know like poor women in 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 this day and age they don't have much choice in where they work for instance they have to take this yeah. job, take it or leave it or else be you know uh struggling to pay the rent etc um so yeah. Uh, yeah, just briefly, I think I just briefly mentioned like the expectation of motherhood and marriage leads to shame or failure if not met. So if you have, if you are, say if you are a woman who doesn't become a nun and you don't also get married, then you're kind of, you know, you're the spinster. Unless you're educated. Now, we should point out that like in Ireland, you know, we had the marriage bar, as we've spoken about before in this podcast, where you had to give up your job um, in the civil service if you got married. And I think that there were plenty of women who deliberately, and if they were lucky enough to be educated, again, it's all about, you know, have you got the money to educate yourself and safeguard your future? Um, if you had the money to get educated, to go to college, become a teacher or a civil servant, you know, you, you lived, um, you lived generally, apart from the social stigma, you, you didn't have financial troubles, you know, you weren't marrying to, for, for financial reasons. Um, but they, they would have been a very small amount of women. And the, the vast majority of, of working class women, although they were married and they did all the work inside the house, they also did all the work outside the house too, you know. A lot of them in, in urban areas would have worked in laundries and places like that. And in rural areas, you know, they would have been in charge of not only the house, but also quite a lot of the farming around the house, particularly with um, chickens and butter, because that was, that was seen as women's work, you know. Um, it's a book and, that um I and I it, it, that is really really good. And it talks about this time. Um, it's called the Hearts Invisible Furies, and it it touches on like so she's a she's a woman who gets pregnant at very young age in Skull in West Cork, and then she's like you know she's branded and she's brought up in front of the priest at Sunday mass, and then she becomes a civil servant, but she disguises her. She disguises her pregnancy the first like she gives up for adoption, but also she disguises the fact that she's a single she's a single woman in order to stay in employment. So she wears a marriage band, but she pretends that she's a widow. You know, so it's um it's really really. Good. Widows have widows have always been more respected than single women. Always, widows are extremely were extremely common in Ireland because of as we said that the fact that a lot of women married men that were you know 10, 20 years older than them. And widowhood was a blessing for a lot of these women. It meant that they had a much higher standing standing than they would if they were single. 
and it also meant that they were now in charge of the entire um the entire farm the entire family um the entire finances and funnily enough um the older that if you were single never married and not a widow the older that you got the more respect that you got because the older that you got the more people assumed you were a widow yeah and just like you said in that book there were definitely thousands upon thousands of women who went away and bought a cheap wedding band and pretended that they had been widowed as opposed to being single because you would get huge respect for it and even within our folklore within our kind of tradition you know a widow's curse is a powerful powerful thing yeah yeah Um, so it would have been almost like easy to make up that lie as well because especially in the the 30s 20s because I mean, the war, civil war. And yes. Also, you know, if you moved, like if you moved from a rural area to a city and you just pretended you were a widow, that you, that you, you know, married young and never had any children and your husband died, you would get a lot more respect, a lot more job opportunities um, mm-hmm. and a lot more social standing than you would if you just arrived as a single person. Yeah, yeah. Um, you get a lot more pride as a widow too. This, is, this comes into the, you know, the virgin whore complex and <clears throat> how I kind of frame this um the virgin whore complex it, it it appears in different ways as well so like how i define how oppressed someone is or for instance in a society is through proximity to innocence and proximity to consumer is only young girl is more innocent than a uh female of 21 single you know like the the age there makes someone more innocent but a woman of the same age who's married is more innocent than um, a single woman of the same age. This is why I get kind of pissed off at the, 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 the idea of mothers and children first. And I brought this up a few times, because, or sorry, not mothers, children, um, women and children first, because you're not actually saying women and ch- children, you're saying mothers and children. It's a thing that you're, you're number one, you're infantilizing women, and saying that men need to look after them. I know like it's meant to be a, a, a disaster situation, but as we saw in the Titanic, you know, men will um, definitely take their place, you know, before women and children. But yeah, so there's this, the, there is this value associated with your life of being a mother, but also a mother who is married. Like we see the treatment of, our, of women in this country when you were married or when you were unmarried and a mother. So there's all these things that determine how valuable you are. It's your proximity to innocence. Men are always seen as innocent. Women are depend. It, it, you have to find out how innocent a woman is. So in a yeah, race, it's- they'll ask you, what were you wearing? Because they want to find out your innocence, like literally to see how innocent you are as a, in your moral fiber. You know, um, and it's, it's like the packaging. It's it's like trying to package women into these two neat little boxes. You know, you're either you're either a virgin, you're either a Madonna, or you're a whore, and it, those are the only two boxes that 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 you are allowed to be in. Um, and I think, obviously, you know, um, it's the distinction between the women that men desire and the women that they respect. And I think, um, Ludacris said it in one of his songs where he says, I want a lady, I want a lady in the streets. I want a lady in the streets, but a freak in the bed, you know? And that's, that's, that's the, that's, that's the modern uh, iteration of, of a Madonna horror complex. They, they want men. We, 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 um, we see that men generally like to put women into two boxes and we see this as you just said with a very good example of single mothers Mm -hmm. a mother is supposed to be a madonna a woman who is respected but if you are a single mother and this is this is as relevant now as it was 50 years ago you everybody looks at single mothers and they think why what did you do what did how did you end up as a single mother and and that their determination of how much they believe of your explanation or their determination of of what they think um happened to you um is is how they're going to decide whether you deserve to be respected and treated as a human being or not 
there there's actually a quote that um because we're so again i'm doing this politics class on um on um uh french politics and um, we're talking about you know slavery and imperialism and everything uh within the french context and it was something that struck me i was just like oh my god i can't believe this is actually written down here but when they they abolished slavery they were like oh it's not the color of your skin so it's not birth but virtue that distinguishes us was like this it was like the lady with um with the scales and sh and um and a black guy and then they were like met and like a measurement thing and it was meant to be like oh you know we're we're equal but actually in that you have but virtue that distinguishes us like you're lit you're still making a what's the word um you're still quantifying someone's value based on virtue so yeah this is like a christian catholic specifically a catholic um notion like your life my my life is uh, can be quantified in value based on xyz things that i am doing um and motherhood as you just pointed out is one of them but motherhood plus marriage you know like motherhood on its own yeah um i think when we look traditionally um at single mothers they were really up until the 1970s they were either very much hidden um, as in ireland and england they would have been very much hidden or they were very much discriminated against like you know in america in the 1970s there were no priests coming along to, to steal their baby from you like there were here but you were discriminated against at every turn you were discriminated against trying to get an apartment trying to get a job trying to get your child into a good school um anything like that um you you were seen as not as worthy as anybody else because you had sinned essentially and even in you know even in even in places that are supposed to be you know secular and not as religious it's still seen as such a negative thing because there's this there's this there's this rattling of of um single mothers in sin um and what i find very interesting what i find very interesting about that is that when you look um traditionally at women who have chosen not to marry they're because they have chosen not to marry they are choosing to be child free mm -hmm. um even yeah. though perhaps that's not actually what they want but up to i would say in the 1980s the social stigma that came with being an unmarried mother was so heavy that a lot of people um they didn't have children because they didn't want to get married as opposed to they didn't want to have children and then so if if we come back to what i was saying earlier when i was saying like oh the the, the government wants to have you to have children the church wants you to have children because that will propagate the race literally that will propagate the race that will be voters blah blah, blah. But why then is the negativity associated with not having the man? You know what I mean? Like why? Like you're surely you are valuable. You're, huh? No, because you're an independent. You're an independent person, and and one of the things that that all, one of the things that that scares men and has scared men since the since time immemorial is the idea of an independent woman who doesn't need to be married who doesn't need to be in a relationship yeah a and I, I, think that, I think that we see this in every in every culture in every religion in every society across the world that um when women stand up and say i don't want to follow your social mores i don't want to do what you've told me um, it, it turns into a, a fear scare tactic by whoever is in power at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so we're seeing this in, 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 in so many countries at the moment. Um, and when you, when you look at it, it's almost always a fear that men have that um, they don't want to be treated. They don't want to be treated the way that we treat them or they don't want to be treated the way they treat us. Like they don't want to um, be infantilized like they infantilize us. They don't want to be um, to be extra, if, if you know what I mean. I don't mean extra in the modern sense. I mean like that really if a woman can go away and raise a child by herself, like what does she need a man for? So and this, it's I this feeling of, of being useless. Of being useless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
this this ties in back to what we were talking about i think was in the last one or the one before i can't remember but like the the um the definition or the idea of what being a man is like it no longer is it you know like the the this this tying of sense of worth and value which is a capitalist thing to being the 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 breadwinner when you take that away from men that it causes an existential dread it causes an existential panic and and this why you see such huge spikes in male suicides around recessions you know because they can't find a job and their their worth is intrinsically linked to their ability to make money for for themselves for their family um and you'll find that a lot of men uh, when they lose their jobs or when they lose their relationship they they spiral so much more intensely than women do um, and I think part of that is because of the societal pressure that is put on them as well. Don't get me wrong, you know, um, not every man is part of the is part of the patriarchal complex that wants to keep us down. Some men genuinely they don't even know why they feel that way. You know, they they lose their job and they, they don't understand. Pardon. I think the majority of men don't. Yeah, and they 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 lose their job and they don't understand why they feel so worthless. They don't understand why they feel so um, bad. You know that they're they're they are a bad man um, because yeah, they can't earn that money. Man, you are a bad man because man, whilst woman is associated with mother and mark wife, yeah, man is defined as or is associated with these traditional masculine mar markers. I, I I do hope men get some like release from that pressure, but I think it's just because they're so close to to it, they can't see it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think then, um, I think so. To wrap up this part, and I think we should get into like choosing motherhood and our own personal, you know, ideas. In summary, government only wants you to have babies to <laughs> make little worker bees. They use, uh, you know, I think we can uh, still agree that single mothers are very much um, not very treated very well, especially if they're poor in the society and single women. So just to touch briefly, single women make up between 25 and 45, 44, make up 45% uh, of the population of the working force in, this is an American study. So single women are becoming a, a much greater cohort of 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 the workforce and also of um and i imagine some of those single women are just unmarried like i don't like that it says single as in like unmarried like how many women who have no partner you know what i mean it's it's yeah of, yeah anyway but um that distinction i think that needs to be made there or just take it out altogether you know uh, but um so uh women are definitely choosing less less children and uh, maybe not even to get married at all. But onto the subject of having children. So I think we both have slightly different, but also similar um, things. So what is your experience? Do you want to have children? Yeah, so there was, um, there's been a few studies done around the world that kind of um, all say the same thing that, that women, um, single women without children and who are unmarried are actually the happiest group in society. And this has been done um, in a couple of different countries, America, England and Israel, namely. So um, a study in Israel where there are quite strong ideals around marriage, you know, like it's it's a primarily Jewish country and obviously they have a very strong um, faith and therefore they're, they're quite inclined to get married. You know, there's not that many single and childless people in Israel compared to other countries. But um, they asked people to compare biographical accounts of married and single people to rate the extent which they displayed several traits. Most people assumed the married score, the married folk scored higher on traits relating to happiness and the depressive than the depressive and lonely singletons. No matter how single people were described and the great things that they had experienced and achieved, people overall were insistent that their happiness must have been overstated. So it's, it's interesting that people who proclaim single unmarried people who proclaim, proclaim to be really happy um, were just not believed you know it, it's just not something that we as a society believe that they can be and there's another there's another one here of um, from from a guy who is a self-proclaimed happiness expert now he's an extremely educated man don't get me wrong but um, he said that um, 
men benefit from marriage because they calm down. They take less risks, they earn more money and they live a little longer. Women, on the other hand, have to put up with that and die sooner than if they never married. The healthiest and happiest population subgroup are women who have never married and had children. Despite the benefits of a single childless lifestyle for women, Dr. Dolan said that the existing narrative that marriage and children were signs of success meant that the stigma leads some single women to feel unhappy, mm-hmm. even though deep down they are not. Mm-hmm that the, it's, the, it's more about the societal pressure telling them that they're unhappy rather than them actually experiencing unhappiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they're yeah. only happy when they have a salad. So I suppose I should start by saying that I, I'm from a very small family, okay? So uh, there's only two of us. Um, and there, that has definitely affected my views on motherhood. Um, I would be friends with people who have very big families and almost all of the people that I know that come from big families, they want babies, they want children. Um, and I think one of the reasons for that is that they grew up around children. Yeah. Um, I, I would say until I was maybe eight or nine, I had never really seen a baby up close. Like no, none of my, none of my cousins were like, I'm the youngest as well in my, in my family. So everybody was all grown up around me, you know? Um, so there was no babies around. Um, and I think that for me, that definitely affected my view on, on being a mother because I didn't have what a lot of women have when they grow up, which is practice. You know, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of women out there that come from big families and they were essentially like a second mom to their children, to their, um, to their siblings. And that definitely informs and affects your views on motherhood. So for me, um, I, I don't know if I want children. I really don't. Um, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very mixed in my feelings about it. And I think that part of it is definitely from the societal pressure of society telling me that, you know, my worth is intrinsically tied up with being a mother um, and not to have children is a very selfish thing to do. And, and that kind of societal view of, um, women who choose to be child-free, particularly, um, like you said, because there is this idea of um, a woman as a producer of workers, a woman as a producer of soldiers. And I think there's still that idea that a woman who chooses not to produce uh, workers and soldiers is selfish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's definitely a societal pressure that I personally feel um, coming in my late 20s into my early 30s i think it's only going to get more severe um, the the pressure i think that's interesting when you, when you bring up the selfish thing i think so many people say that but they don't actually realize what they're saying what do you mean selfish selfish for whom like you're like i think they think that you're being selfish as in like you're denying someone the right to live but like yes they're you're not what about huh what about but what about my right to live? What about my right to, to my life, you know? And this is the same thing that you hear around the abortion debate. You hear people saying that, you know, to have an abortion is so selfish. It's such a selfish act. But I, I'm, a, I'm actually a person in case, you know, the men of, of the world didn't realize um, I, I actually am a person. I have my own feelings. I have my own brain. And if I choose not to have children, is that not a... An, is that not a um, independent act that you don't like? Mm-hmm. Because you don't, because a lot of these, you know, right-wing authoritarian mm-hmm. places that like to ban abortion is that they want to keep women under the thumb. And one of the ways to keep women under your thumb is, is to chain them to the crib or to chain them to the kitchen sink. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that, go on. That's interesting that you said that, like, again, you linked that back to like the, the if you don't have children, you don't have independence. So like there is this weighing down, you know, like if you can imagine someone is like trying to put anchors around you um, uh, as you're like trundling through life, um, that that fear of independence. But I, I, I mean to say that like a lot of people say the selfish line and they don't, they really have no understanding why they're saying it, but they know that they feel that the woman is being selfish so that's you know if i feel it therefore it must be true kind of thing um and it's this old conditioning again that has coming through i feel and has anybody ever asked you directly to your face um if or why you don't have children i get it a lot in my work i get a lot 
yeah, I get a lot of people in my line of work asking me about, um, do I have children? And then the immediate, almost immediate question afterwards is, why not? Um, And I personally, like, you know, I personally think that that's such an insulting question to people who may actually desperately want children, but cannot for whatever reason. Um, Like, I... I believe that there are a lot of women out there who would really like a child but can't or can't have one for a myriad of reasons, you know? Yeah, I feel that um, um, I, I personally have a very different experience. I've never been asked, I don't think. I think my friend, my very good friend, asked me and um, uh, I think that's the only time I've ever had that conversation. Um, and it was like a frank conversation. And I said something actually that I kind of regretted saying because I think she took it up the wrong way. Um, but uh, I don't get asked. I don't get asked. I think I don't get asked as well because, you know, I, I'm single. I don't have a boyfriend or anything. So that, I think that is a qualifier that people will be like, well, she needs a man before she has a baby in a way. Do you know that kind of way? Yeah. Um, I don't get asked. My mother doesn't ask me. I've told her, you know, a lot that like, yeah, look, it's probably not going to happen. Like, you're probably not going to have uh, another wedding. My brother's getting married. He's the more traditional one. Me and my sister are not. So I don't feel like me, myself and my sister will get married. And I don't think that either of us will have children. And I say that I don't think because you never know. But never, yeah. You never, never see. You can never. Yeah. I think one of the reasons why I one of the reasons why it's so um, mixed up for me personally, whether I do or do not want one is um, there are women in my family who love being mothers. You know, there are women in my family who have, there's who have um, great experiences being a mother and think that it's the best thing that any woman could do. And equally there are women in my family who never had children um, and are, and, and when I look at them and I see this sounds so terrible to say it, but I'm, I'm just going to say it when I see all the money that they have, when I see all the experiences that they've had in their life, the traveling, the the education, the the work that would be difficult to do with children, not impossible, obviously, but, you know, um, would be difficult to do with with children I think that I have positive role models on both sides like I have a positive role models who have children and growing up and I had positive role models that didn't have children growing up and so that's one of the reasons I think that I'm kind of mixed up in whether I truly want them or not yeah that's interesting so like I think you know we can get into we could get into another podcast again about like what are the things that you know make the decisions for people and obviously a huge one of that is financial and massive yeah massive but if you were to take it in a vacuum and kind of just be like what do you in your core want like me in my life i just do not see it i do not feel it i do not have a desire for a child i don't i have never i just don't like when, when I was saying I was talking to my friend, she asked me like, oh, why don't, you know, why wouldn't want, what you want to have kids? And I was like, I'm just too selfish. And I meant that in a way that I meant, I just cannot see beyond myself. Like I cannot see beyond having to share a house with a child that doesn't, that another human being that doesn't leave you for 18 years. You know, I just cannot. I you they never leave you come on no as i I meant the word yeah as in not 18 but i when i meant selfish i meant like i me as you love a dependent a dependent dependent you know independent person i am not like being attached to something like that at least a husband you can divorce yeah, I suppose one of the things that I think one of the things I want to pick up on that you just said there is, you know, um, this idea of being selfish. And actually, um, when you like when you when you look at at kind of women who um, maybe were it's very, very hard. And I've tried I've been trying for this podcast. It's extremely hard to find data on women who regret having children, because one of the things that is not talked about in society is the fact that there are women out there who genuinely regret having their children. 
Okay, mm-hmm. they, they, they regret having one or they regret having 10, but they regret it. And it's not spoken about. So there's very few studies done on it because no woman wants to put her hand up and say, look, Timmy, I actually really didn't. If I could go back like Timmy, you wouldn't be alive, you know. And um, that's not something that we hear women talk about in, in, a, in, our, in, in our society. But they exist. They have to exist. They're somewhere out there. And I think that this falls... Um, this false idea that being a mother is the most important, the most uh, the most worthy job in the world. You know, I think it negates um, a lot of women um, and, and makes childless women feel like they are missing out on something. Like I said about kind of societal pressure um, as you reach your late 20s, early 30s is that you should be procreating. Um, you should be producing. I do believe that it is up to the individual to remove, to like, to be able to um, deal with those, uh, though that guilt, because that only exists within themselves. You know, I like, I understand the external, yeah. the external things, but if you, if you are like, oh God, should I, you know, that is something you have to, to confront for yourself and not like let, uh, try and have others make that decision or soothe you in that decision i think that for me like um i just think like number one pregnancy is insane like it's an actually insane thing to do it's an insane process you can literally grow a human being inside of your body and i don't think that people talk about this enough how you know you're having a child you're not having you're creating you're making a whole human being inside of your body like it's so insane when you think yeah. about it and um the if we can of space that you like the level of space of your life that you have to share is i i just don't think i have that capacity uh, there was a um a, there's articles in the irish times they're actually quite interesting that like in her shoes kind of not in her shoes but they're like interviews with mothers like famous mothers and i read two of them this morning one of them was vicky phelan and the other one was kira brady and Kira Brady, surprisingly, whilst I really don't like her, especially of late, had a really good take. Um, she was like, she didn't really like being a mother earlier on. She didn't like being a mother of young babies. She was very nervous, but she liked being the mother of teens. And she said that, you know, they're like their own little people. I think a lot of women have children because they think it'll make them happy. And I think you see so many children be like, my best friend, you know, it's, they, the child becomes theirs. I don't think if you have children, it's your child. Like I think it's a human being that you have to mind until they're big enough. This attachment to, you know, there's a lot of abuse that happens in early childhood. There's a lot because of the dependency of children. Like there's so many things that parents do that are absolutely unforgivable as well too. Yeah, there's actually a really good, um, there's a really good quote by Mitch Alburn and it was a book that I read when I was 14. And it's a book that stayed with me. It stayed with me my entire life. It's one of my favorite books. It's called The Five People You Meet in Heaven um, by, by Mitch Alburn. And the quote is, all parents damage their children. Some just smudge the glass and some break it into smithereens. The, the quote is something along those lines. And I that quote, it's it's seared into my brain the idea that when you have a child you are ultimately responsible for their entire development and as somebody who studied child psychology um i think that when you look at things like attachment theory okay yeah you look at you look at attachment theory and you see secure attachment avoidant attachment anxious attachment and how badly you can fuck up your children yeah you know like how how you can traumatize your children by being too attached to them by be by not being attached to them and yeah. there's all these there's all these millions and millions of of um of articles and advice about how to do things like should you sleep train your children should you let them sleep in your bed should you let them cry it out should you not and all there are genuine psychological um problems that come with each one of those like none of them are perfect none of them are what are what um will 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 turn out you know a perfectly developed child like no matter how no matter how good you are and no matter how 
helpful and loving you are, you are going to fuck up your child. Yeah. Like it's just I- a fact. And on that note, I think we're going to finish up. Um, I suppose I just want to say, like for me personally, that I think that I won't ever want to have children. I can't imagine my life with children. And um, I just don't have that desire. And I actually believe that the whole uh, biological clock thing is a scam. And yeah if you are in tune with what you you want which i've learned to be i feel over the last several years more and more through therapy and everything else um you might discover that this pressure to have children is actually an external one and not necessarily coming from what you want yourself um so yeah i think we're gonna finish up right um yeah so join us on the next podcast see you then